Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us again on the Porcupine Perspective. We are joined today by, of course, Robert, but Evelyn has decided to join us again. We'd like to welcome her back. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Anytime. We definitely appreciate having the different perspectives here. Um, today, Robert and I wanted to talk about kind of where we came from as far as our beliefs are involved and take a jaunt down memory lane. Maybe that's a good way of looking at it and look back at some of the beliefs that we used to hold dear and things that when we hear someone else speak, our hackles immediately come up. Now, before we got into the episode, there's something kind of cool that finally happened here in Kansas, and that's we are able to buy High Point beer in a grocery store, and then you can buy sodas, mixers, and limes in liquor stores. And for those of you that are privileged enough to live in states where they don't make that an illegal activity, you're probably looking back and go, yeah, you know, of course, Kansas takes this long to get this stuff figured out. But for us, it's a big deal. If you went to the grocery store or convenience store, you would have to buy 3.2% beer or less. And if you wanted limes for your tequila at the liquor store, you had to go to a grocery store. It's kind of a pain in the butt. But what's nice for me is seeing convenience stores actually becoming that. That kind of led me to the realization that, um, it appears that everything that government does is focused on making things inconvenient. Yeah, well, <laughs> here in the Commonwealth, uh, it just recently happened that beer was being sold in gas stations. So maybe we were farther behind than you were. God, Lord, I can't even imagine. Yeah, here, you know, you go to the gas station and if you're going to the lake, like, crap, I've got to make a whole nother. You know, you're filling up the boat, filling up the car, whatever. You've got to make a separate trip to the liquor store to be able to go buy beer. And there, you know, God, you couldn't even buy it. It was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a culture shock because back in Illinois, I mean, grocery stores had entire, you know, some had walk-in freezers. You could get what, you know, whatever you wanted, one-stop shop at the grocery store. And then came here and people were talking about the state stores. I was like, what the hell's a state store? Oh, well, that's, that's where you uh, buy liquor. And then uh, talking about the beer distributor, I was like, what's so big about that? They distribute beer to the stores. No, that's the place they sell beer. <laughs> I was like, what in, the, what in the world? What have I walked into? <laughs> so beer sold separately than liquor? Yes. Wow. Man, I thought things were bad down here. Yeah, they're two separate entities, sir. I, I know here that uh, when you apply for a license, you have to apply for a high point or low point. And you can get both, but it's a s much more expensive procedure to get both you know like here we, we can never get ice to put in our beer chests you could buy it outside but you cannot buy it in store like, it, it's ice in a bag guys come on <laughs> i'm not gonna make a martini in my car <laughs> let me have some flipping ice they're right there on the sidewalk yeah exactly yeah you can make it on your sidewalk but yeah <laughs> it, it's stupid anyway there was a time not that long ago that um, both Robert and I thought differently than we did now. I've always felt it good to revisit past beliefs to make sure that I don't fall into the same traps that I did before. But before we get too deep into what it was we believe, there were a couple of questions that I thought would be good to answer for you guys, those that are still dabbling in looking into the freedom movement, and maybe there's still some objections to maximum freedom. 
Now, the first question being, what was the single biggest contributor to your change of mind or your change of heart? It would more more be the start of a change of mind than is egregious as any might find this for myself uh, i'd starting watching glenn beck and i'll wait for the group of size (laughs) and uh uh what actually what did come out of that that was really good is uh i i started actually looking at things more critically and whatever he might be doing now i i don't follow any of that but um so I started looking into things myself and started reading them and looking for inconsistencies and whatnot. And it wasn't like it happened that week, but it took some time reading through and figuring out that a lot of the stuff I was holding dear, I was essentially full of shit. <laughs> That's always good to find out. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, um, and you and I were obviously friends even then we would talk back and forth about you know what was on glenn beck and we'd both read several of his books and i remember thinking then that you know this guy's got got it together he he understands what's going on um bill o'reilly was a a close second i i know i know and i feel that way absolutely now but the thing was and you and i are both very logical people We, we like to call ourselves logical and at that time, I would have, I would have argued with anyone that said that Glenn Beck's beliefs were illogical, that they were tainted with whatever whatever form of tribalism that you wanted to call it, whether it be nationalism, whether it be whatever else. And it's interesting how we can delude ourselves so strongly into believing that our beliefs are concrete, one hundred percent set in stone, unassailable. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah, and then gets you know it gets reinforced by folks you're around or that you surround yourself, and so then it echoes back and forth. I think that's what reinforces it a lot is that when you are in that head headspace under whatever political dichotomy you want to say you were a part of at that time, it's easier to reinforce your points of view because you're able to get righteously indignant. That righteous indignation right. over whatever side is going on there. So you never really do take a cri- critical look at it. To an extent, it's it's a good feeling to be angry because you are justified in that anger. Yeah, and there's a... So you never really look critically at it. There's a double factor there uh, for one of the reasons. And it's blindly stupid because it doesn't even apply. The idea of the right being the Christian party. and that's not a thing for you now, you know, obviously, Sean, but that that was a thing of the past. And I think that's one of the things that maybe had us more, I guess, more blindly devoted to that side. When in actuality, it's neither of them are Christian. I don't know how that became the default belief, to be honest. I think a lot of people that are Christian do consider themselves on the right. And I am in 100% agreeance that neither party would pass the test if you were to look at what they support and you compare that to Christianity 100%. It's not going to pass muster by any stretch of the imagination. But what is interesting is, and it's something I still want to delve into, but the psychology is very different of those that associate themselves typically with the left and those that typically associate themselves with the right. Now, of course, there's outliers, but it seems to be that 
those on the right are very much, it needs to be done by your merits. You need to bootstrap your bootstrap yourself in or up, I should say. And you should be, be held responsible for your actions. The right also seems to be very tuned into reparations and punishment. You know, you broke the law, so you need to go to the jail. You broke this moral code, so this needs to needs to happen. Whereas the left, and, and granted, they, they've morphed quite a bit, even as you and I have, mm. where they seem more open and more opposed to these uh, punishments, so to speak. We need to forgive everyone for what, what, what they have done, whether it be ex-cons, criminals, gays, and everyone needs to help each other out. And you, you've got these really, you know, to use Evelyn's word, a, a dichotomy there of psychology. And now, I don't know if that's why that more, uh, more people that associate themselves with Christianity typically fall on the right and are attracted to it. Not saying that the right is Christian, but those that are Christian typically find themselves on that side of the fence. I think it's because the right is more traditionally conservative and more in line with the views representative uh, within their religion. Things like gay marriage, just for an example. That's an interesting thought. Are typic- Sorry, things like gay marriage on the right side are, are typically, um, in the past, not been smiled upon similarly to the way it's worded in the Bible. I just think it's... it's um, an easy step over to be aligned with a political party that more closely mirrors your own personal religious beliefs. Do you think then that maybe those that are more religious find themselves on the conservative side because hearkening back to religion is hearkening back to, you know, I hate to phrase it this way, but the old ways or the ways that got us here, whereas progressives find themselves anti-religion and moving away to more of a modern view? I think that conservatives and those in the religious view would view themselves as being more traditional, whereas those on the left would look at themselves as being more, not new age, but uh, forward thinking. Right, moving towards the modern. Mm -hmm. Robert, what are your thoughts? I'm interested because you still consider yourself Christian. Uh, For the division or classification. Evelyn's correct in, in the fact that uh, about the conservative thought being more more in line, which is uh, which is true that how, how that transpired. But the uh, enforcement of that would be how the left would fight for abortion. That was a huge one with the church and whatnot. And some you know some of the other things which were I guess would be classified as socially liberal flew in the face of your organized religion, if you will. And that kind of helped push it. But uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty much how it is. You know, the conservative traditional notion of things and then backed by some of the policies that were put in force by progressives that happened to be flying in the face of major religion. So, you know, that, that kind of isolated or kind of fixed that stance there. And that's why people would tend to fall one way or another. And I guess that would make sense because progressivism is, in a nutshell, a, not denial, but a a push away from the traditional. And I I was using the word modern probably in a incorrect text, but, or incorrect um, manner. But I, I think I agree with both of you that 
that's why you find this dichotomy that's present. And again, I can't reinforce this enough. No one is saying that the right is Christian and the left cannot be. But from a psychological standpoint, it appears that those that are attracted to conservatism, traditional values, and a lot of those are going to be those that are, find themselves or call themselves religious, are going to find themselves on the right, which is based around conservative core values and not changing. That's interesting. I, I wonder if there's more to that and uh, maybe something we dive into a little deeper at another time. And my next question was, how has your outlook changed? Has looking through this lens made you happier? Just for clarification, both of you started off fairly strongly within the Republican Party, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I mean, I'm sure that stretched back. Were your families also? Yes. Republican or? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sean, you're from Mississippi, so you guys were like Southern Republican. Uh, it goes the other way, actually. Typically, uh, Democrats are real strong in the South. I've seen that a lot, but I've seen like a lot of like hardcore Republicans come out of the South as well. That, that is correct. When it comes into, especially when it goes into the religious side, mm-hmm. I say I've seen it be much more extreme either direction. Put it that way. Um, I'm I'm not going to have a tremendous amount to add to your list here today, just because I come from a more politically ag- agnostic background, while my father. Um, was more traditionally Republican. He was a lot more towards the center, I think, than most others and didn't necessarily agree with all the views and also very much encouraged us as his kids to never take anything at face value and to always look into things at a deeper level for ourselves. So I already had those questions going in before I even turned 18. So I never really fell one way or the other, but I just kind of wanted to get clarification kind of where, where you guys were and, and kind of, I think, where this episode was going to go. Absolutely. And, and thanks for the interjection there. Um, restating the question, how has your outlook changed and has looking through this lens made you any happier? Yeah, it actually has. I, yeah, I feel, you know, going through this process and whatnot and uh, breaking these things down <clears throat> and the, idea of the uh the non-aggression principle that changes a lot and it actually i would say before which is really weird for me i just accepted and i didn't look at politics with logic and i don't know why because i look at everything else with logic it's it's logic is how i live but for some reason with politics i didn't bother to break it down like i do everything else in my life and um Albeit, I read all the stuff, I knew everything that was going on, but uh, for some reason, I just never bothered. And that's kind of bothers me a little bit for the, for the simple fact uh, that those beliefs that I did hold, they were so wrong, but not to mention, not even close in line with Christianity at all. So, yeah, it's, it's changed significantly on my outlook with people on how I view situations in my everyday life. And yeah, I I would say it has made me happier. I'm going to agree with you. Um, For me, and and I want to speak to what you were, what you brought up of how you did not apply logic to politics or at least your political leanings. I, I went a step further. I told myself I was being logical in my mind. I knew I was a logical individual and there's no way I could hold a belief that was illogical. 
and I would argue with some of the most logical people that I know about my beliefs and walk away thinking I'd won an argument, <laughs> but realizing I had not changed a mind. Essentially, what you did is you were warping logic to form your view. Yeah, I, you were using it. You you would change it so that um, it, that things would fit. But the reality is that there was nothing logical at all about any of your beliefs, but you tried to make it that way and you sold yourself on the fact that it was that way. And it is absolutely terrifying to look back to. I'm not going to lie and um, realize how easy it would be to fall into that same trap. But overall, I would say that I'm definitely much happier. I don't have to worry about checking my views with the uh, the party apparatus to make sure that what I am believing is what they want me to believe or what we're supposed to believe or what we're supposed to be outraged at that time. It's funny when I, I remember reading about stuff going on in Soviet Russia and on any of the big warships or anything very important, they would always have a party affiliate there to make sure that everybody was of course doing what the party wanted and laughing on God. Can you imagine being part of a system where you were told how you should feel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you look back and you're, you're standing in your own pile of crap. Yeah. That's the exact same thing. But like you said, you, you warp the logic to fit the situation and you sell yourself on, on the bullshit, which is what it is. Yeah. And then talk about that stuff. And you have to support that bullshit, then you end up with the mental gymnastics, which causes a stressor, and then you would get frustrated because you weren't consistent, and then it gets to a fact of where you're you're trying to have a conversation with somebody holding these beliefs, and they're having a conversation with you, potentially on the other side, holding their beliefs, and both individuals are having to do these mental gymnastics to support their view that in their brain is triggering isn't consistent and half the times that's why you end up into a, a ridiculous verbal battle that doesn't end up solving anything for either side because they were both arguing with flawed logic yeah you create a cognitive dissonance mm. your, your brain knows subconsciously on some level that what you're saying is utter horseshit and what's funny is that you spot the other team's horseshit you know it's horseshit but again, you don't realize you're knee deep in it and both sides are pointing it out. And if someone would just kind of take a step back and say, Hey guys, you both have problems. What, why don't you just step out of the horse shit and let's find some solid ground to stand on. But then they both attack you. And well, yeah, but Sean, you, you know, firsthand how hard that is to really start looking inward on those things. This isn't just, you know, something you buy into later in life. Now, granted, there are some people who do, but for the majority of people, this is very much a fundamental part of who they are. Mm -hmm. It is wrapped into their individual sense of their identity. You know, I've known you long enough. I watched what you went through, and it was a drawn-out process when you disassociated, I guess you could say, with the political views you'd always had and journeyed into where you are now. This It rocked your world. So it, it's not an easy thing to do because you are undoing and unraveling and I'm going to use a big bad word, but uh, unmind fucking yourself. I don't know how else to put it because it, it's that it goes that deep. 
No, I, I agree. It does. It's, um, I maybe, and I'm not going to say that that's a bad word, but de-indoctrinating yourself, taking that long, hard look at yourself internally and realizing that, yes, you are knee deep in it. And yes, I don't want to be here anymore. So I need to do something different, but <clears throat> you're hitting the nail on the head. It is such a core part of our, our identity that by removing it, you're removing a cornerstone for at least a lot of people, a true cornerstone that weakens the entire foundation of who they are. Because when you ask someone, are you blank or blank? They will tell you, I am liberal or I am conservative. I am this, I am that. <clears throat> and it, it breaks back down to that dichotomy we were talking about. But if you were to pull that out, because everything is built on it. I'm a conservative, so that means I have to be against abortion. I am a conservative, so I have to be against gay marriage. Now, they may not have any problem with it personally, or they may not have had a problem with it if they didn't have to identify as it. But again, you've got the party elite telling you how to believe, and you're right. It, it will rock your world to the foundation. A lot of people don't like that journey. I didn't like it. But as it picks up speed and you get closer and closer to those bedrock core principles, it gets easier. And then once you're done. If you would do me a favor and just for whoever's listening, I don't, I don't know if you guys have actually gone through the bedrock principles. How would you break those down to what you guys follow now? I would say um, self-ownership. We own our own bodies and we're responsible and the only one responsible for our own actions. We don't have the right to violate anyone else's self-ownership, meaning I can't steal from you. I can't take your property. I can't harm you unless you are going to harm me. And then everything else kind of builds from that. Voluntary interactions are, of course, based on the principle of self-ownership as well. The only way that you and I should interact is through a voluntary manner. If it's involuntary or against the will of either one of us, we're in violation of that core principle. And then, of course, as Robert mentioned before, non-aggression still built upon that core issue. And some would even argue that that self-ownership is built on the non-aggression. I go the other way. I think uh, self-ownership is the core because there, if anyone else has a higher claim to your body than yourself, you're a slave. And then this all goes out the window because as long as someone else has a higher claim, then you have no arguments left because they always have something that they can say and force you to do. Okay. Did you have anything different to add to that, Robert? I didn't want to speak for you. No. Oh, well, the only thing I'd, I'd add to that and the idea of, uh, uh to go along with the, uh, non-aggression, it would be the, um, the idea within self-ownership that nobody, nobody has a higher claim to you. And nobody has the right to dismiss your life either. I would agree. And in the fact of our incursions overseas, um, we essentially dismiss the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. So I'd throw that in there too. Yeah, absolutely. And they do not necessarily mean us harm. And even if, and this is going to be a very unpopular opinion to anyone that hears it, but if we are invading their countries and their country, and they are taking up arms, they are defending themselves. We are in the wrong. You can't say, well, they had an AK-47, so I had to kill him. 
they're defending their homeland from an invader. Just like you're defending, when you defend your home against somebody that is coming in and you are justified to take whatever necessary steps to uh, save yourself, they're doing the exact same thing. You can't say, well, he picked up a gun. Now I get to kill him. That would be like the person breaking into your house saying, well, he had a shotgun, so I killed him and I'm in the right. It doesn't work that way. That and then the instances of war, governments wage war. Yeah, not people. Uh, the citizens. The citizenry go on living their lives. The, the majority of the citizenry go on living their lives, not taking up arms or engaged in that fight. So they're sitting back, uh, helping their kids with homework or enjoying time you know, with their kid or their spouse or whatever, going about a regular day and otherwise not doing anything wrong and they end up vaporized. It's that picture of it. Sometimes I think about that when I'm you know, when I'm at home, you know, helping my wife cook or something, or we're sitting together enjoying time or with my kid and whatnot. And while we're doing something perfectly innocent, if we were in one of those countries and a bomb hits and we're all maimed or we're all killed for doing nothing wrong whatsoever, that's the kind of thing that weighted on my mind with how I used to feel back then. Because back then, I, because I, bought into everything. One of the mantras that I thought was, you know, a funny response was with all the crap in the Middle East, you just turn the desert to glass. And I'm sure you've heard me say that, Sean, you know, back in the day. And, you know, when I was going through this, I thought about that and I was like, how absolutely horrible is that? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's probably, that'd probably be on the top on my list of things that I had thought that was just completely atrocious. I mean, how does that even fall in line with anything remotely humane? And uh, it doesn't. For that, I have. I, I feel I feel guilt over that, and I didn't even do anything. But just for holding, you know, holding that type of belief and rah rahing the wars and you know whatnot, that just uh, that really bothered me. It, it really did. You're not the only one, obviously, to have used that, that phraseology. I've used it myself as well. And the reference, of course, being let's just do a first strike with nuclear weapons and um, get the desert sands to a high enough temperature that we, we make glass with it, which, of course, means that everyone that lives there is gone and no one would ever be able to inhabit it again and the world would be a happier place. Of course, not what I believe now, but... There are times I feel those pangs of guilt as well, and not because uh, obviously neither one of us had even access to a button that could do that, but there was that support that you had. And although your support did not lead directly to someone going over there and doing something even remotely similar, it's still bothersome because, at least for me, and I don't want to speak for you and you could tell me if you find it different that if the president came on the news and said, okay, everyone cast your vote right now. This is what I want to do. I want to launch a uh, strike against the Middle East and we're going to wipe out everyone. At that time, I would have voted yes. Yeah. And myself also. And uh, the, the other reason I have guilt over it for the simple fact is you and I were you know, we're each other's echo chamber for years. And the fact that I wasn't, you know, that I was endorsing that type of thought 
the thing is, is that was helping echoing to you and helping you feel better about what you thought and vice versa. So in essence, we were doing harm to each other. <laughs> we were. It's like the people that had the terrorist hunting permits on the back of their um, back of their trucks after 9-11. You are, to use your, your verbiage, I, I think it's very apt. It, you're reinforcing and making it okay for people to feel the need to do harm to those that they don't know. How do you know if someone's a terrorist or not? And what is a terrorist? And that, that's the other side of it. There are those that would consider what we do to be terrorist activities. I can't remember what the exact word is um, where you're speaking out against a government. It's um, it's not treason. It's not libel. It's not slander. God, that's going to bug the, the crap out of me. Sedition. Sedition. There God, you go. the Alien and Sedition Acts. How, how could I forget that? Need to buff up on my history. Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, this is an act of sedition because we're speaking out against the government and the actions of the government. It's not a hard leap to say that we're terrorists in, in that regard. And if my old self was looking at what I'm doing right now, I would push the button. If they said, okay, should we go after these people that are speaking out the way they are against the government? They're enemies of the state. And like the old Roman, um, the Roman Caesars would do the thumbs up or thumbs down to determine the death of um, a gladiator. Mm -hmm. I would have given the thumbs up. And how terrifying is that? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'd, it, 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 it's actually something I think about every day. There isn't, there isn't a day goes by that I don't, uh, that, like I said, that was, that was one of the worst things, uh, you know, that I, I can think of that would be number one on the list of things that I just, you know, what the hell <laughs> just, uh, yeah. And, and the problem is, is withholding, you know, holding those thoughts that shaped your view on peoples and, and everything else. And it just, yeah, it just, uh, it's probably the single worst thing. And I absolutely hate it. But like I said, it, I think about it every day and I'm like, why were you such an ass? Yeah, we were signal repeaters. Yeah. Helping to strengthen the signal to other people. Like, you know, if if enough people justify it by being okay with it, then suddenly it's no longer a bad act. It's okay because it's justified. So before we get in the list, I had one last question. And this is kind of a tough one, but what is the biggest limiter to changing the minds of people that you meet? Yeah. It's, it's, they're already preconceived notions that they've had background with the same thing as we did that they, you know, they, they've been in their own echo chambers and it's been reinforced thousands of times over. You're asking them to change who they are. That's really what it comes down to. You are asking somebody to fundamentally change who they are, how they think, how they feel. I mean, are any of those things items that haven't been fundamentally altered by your change in perspective here. You had to get there on your own. Both of you did, I think. I've heard you guys discuss it. It was it was absolutely a solitary journey. Had you had someone coming up and preaching this and screaming it in your face, I don't think it would have been enough had you not systematically, step by step, started opening your own eyes. Largely, I think, because you're such logical people. And I can, I can tell you probably... You know, what seeded that is um, I was already reading about things and getting a little deeper in things and whatnot, not necessarily 
you know, libertarian or anarchist book that I was reading. It was more reading, reading about situations and, and looking at them and just thinking about, okay, this, uh, you know, breaking things down. But at the same time, you're, you're fighting what you're thinking. And it's like the stuff that comes out of your mouth is still, still the mantras that, that, that you had had. And what, uh, solidified it for me is my, uh, my main discussions of politics was with Sean because nobody really likes to talk about that shit. And, and Sean was the only one, you know, really who wanted to talk about that kind of stuff. And even though we were on the right and talking about it, I enjoyed the hell out of the conversations. But, uh, what happened is, is when he had dropped off to which I was pissed at him at, but anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had dropped off. Well, essentially because I'd stopped watching any cable news or anything like that. And I was just reading articles for myself. Well, when that dropped off, my echo chamber had shut down. And so what happened is I only had myself because I wasn't, you know, listening to, in, you know, to, uh, you know, cable news or whatnot. And I just, uh, I started, uh, reading some of the politics for myself and then I got pissed and then I didn't read anything. I didn't want anything to do with it, period. So I probably didn't read any news for about you know, three months or so, three, four months. And then I picked up and started reading reading articles again. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, and obviously depending who you read, that's going to be your slant because that's uh, just the way it is. And I'd look at it and I'd go, yeah, you're full of shit. And the other side, you're full of shit. <laughs> and, I, and that's... That's how it ended up working. Uh, for some reason, you know, at that point, then logic started kicking in, and I'm like, "Yeah, this whole thing's broken. There, there's, there's, there's nothing that can be uh, that can be taken out of this that does any good for anybody." And so, essentially, I I had two years to sit there and go over things, and I wasn't really necessarily uh, I wasn't looking for a label because at that point I was mad and I didn't want a label anymore. Then, uh, you know, Sean had, uh, come back around and, you know, we were talking about stuff that then I, I realized because, uh, I had thought anarchism was essentially, you know, my definition was still what the media had portrayed since the sixties. And I was like, well, that's not me. And then I got more into it, into the, uh, uh, history of that. And that seemed to, it seemed to fit the best with, uh, both me, you know, about how I felt and also with, uh, with, uh, Christianity, as Sean would argue about Old Testament, but, um, I, I'm referring to, uh, New Testament more following with, uh, you know, an anarchy type setup. For me, going back to the question, and I think Evelyn, it's correct. Well, I know she's correct, but if, if this truly is a cornerstone or one of the cornerstones of this foundation that you've built up and your identity is built on it, if you're going to move a wall, you usually start at the top, not at the bottom, the thing that's supporting all of the weight. If you try to move this cornerstone and just move it, it's, it, it's supported by the weight of the entire identity. So it's almost impossible to move it. In fact, there's only one way to really move it, and that's explosive through the use of 
a ton of force, which is what happened to me. <clears throat> Pardon me. So I think that in and of itself being such, such an anchor to the core of the identity, it makes it hard for you in just a conversation to edge people off of that. It, it, and many times to make a really noticeable change, you've got to have something on the, the, with the equivalent of an earthquake or explosives in order to move it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tight. It's tightly held. And at the same time, while you do try to change it, your brain's fighting you too, because you've reinforced this for years and your instinct is going to be what you know. And while you're trying to rethink this stuff out, stuff's going to, best way I can describe it is while you're thinking this out and working it through, the old way of thinking is going to sting you every time you, you know, every time you try, every time you reason something out that's totally against it. Mm -hmm. Well, the old you is, is everything around you. Yeah. Every time you're trying to go through this change, every, like I said, it's a part of, fundamental part of who you are. It's in what you read. It's in what you watch. It is uh, in your social circle. So as you're going through all of this, or if you are starting to question things, or if you are starting to make some of those changes, your old way of thinking is constantly being reinforced and shoved down your throat. Or it, yeah, it's just I I think it's a very monumentally difficult transition to make. The further on I think you do it in life, I would um. I would draw a comparison to uh, an addiction, let's say alcohol addiction, drug addiction, or whatever else, in that if you do go to seek help, if you do go to seek change, one of the things that you have to do, and is often the hardest, is you have to remove yourself from the influence of those that enable you and push you back into that addiction, whether it be the friends you used to hang out with at the bar, for instance, if you're trying to overcome alcohol addiction. Or the people that add undue pressure to your life that are leading you to take drugs to be able to to cope, per se. And your echo chamber is exactly that. They are a comfortable port in a storm where the storm is the change that you're trying to go through. And many times it's easier just to fall into that which you know, because that's not scary. But you don't know what's on the other side of the storm. So we have a tendency to seek port when the reality is being tied up to that port is ultimately going to destroy the ship. Mm -hmm. Look at all those metaphors I tossed all at one time. That was fantastic. <laughs> Good Lord. There are those that would say I like to speak in metaphor. Yeah, I absolutely do. Anyway, let's move past that <clears throat> to the uncomfortable part of this um, little excursion into the past. The things you used to think, and I figure we'll just kind of go one-on-one -on -one or one-for-one -one with these, and then we can ask questions. The first one, and this is not too terrible, but it, I'm still cringing even reading it, it is uh, just do what they say and you won't be hurt. It's wrong to resist law enforcement. Oh, yeah. That, I'll add to that. On uh, <laughs> used to watch Cops, and the thought was... <laughs> thought was a simple was a essentially the same thing um think you know thinking aha because somebody got pulled over for speeding that passed you up or something like that you know the other thing is if uh you know you saw saw somebody getting chased down or whatnot well they must have done something wrong 
They wouldn't be chasing them mm-hmm. with their guns out if they didn't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this, and time for a little honesty. How many times have you been passed by someone that was tailgating you or right on your ass, and they drive around you, and you go, man, I hope a cop catches them? Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. No. Oh, I still do that. I still do it. I'm not going to lie. I think I was telling you something about that a few weeks ago, Sean, right? Somebody that for over a mile kept honking and riding my butt and honking, riding my butt. And I came up to a yellow light that was turning red. And even then they blasted their horn all the way around me through a turning lane, ran through the red light. And that was still my first thought. And even even now I, I can't fully say I don't partially wish they got a ticket for it. I really can't. Because it was such a dick move. Well, I, I even, I even also used to wish they wrecked, mm-hmm. and even that, even that changed for the simple fact the potential that it involves somebody else that wasn't part of their stupidity. Right. So you know, and we never it, it, go it, ahead. It it just it, it shows you how the line of thinking just changes how you view things altogether. And we never know. Maybe they need to get to the bathroom really bad. Maybe they need to get to the hospital. Maybe there's a reason they're speeding. But yeah, a knee-jerk reaction was just that. All right, um, I'll throw another one. We'll do a two for here. If you don't want to go to jail, then don't break the law. If you don't agree with the law, just move. <laughs> move where? <laughs> well, I, I never completed that part of the thought. Because there's obviously Somalia? nowhere to go. Somalia. <laughs> yeah, I, I had never, I had never ever used Somalia just because I didn't realize that that was. I, I wasn't dealing with any anarchists then. Everyone I was dealing with was progressives, and they would, you know, they would cite uh, racial discrimination or racial profiling within the um, within their communities and go, "Well, we just stop breaking the law." Yeah, right. You know, you you wouldn't have any problems. Cop, cops wouldn't be there if you weren't breaking the law. Uh-huh. About that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, throw one up. I I've I've done two. Oh, okay. Well, I already I already covered the desert to glass one. I guess a lot of a lot of my stuff, you know, centers around uh, the whole wartime thing, especially when it started getting televised. I was I was one of those I I would sit and stare and watch all the updates for hours on end of what was happening with the war and uh, see see video of bombers and then and then obviously um, through the night vision and through the flare of uh, destroying targets and just completely fascinated and enjoyed the hell out of it and uh, yeah that's another one where yeah no no consideration for regular citizenry or human life even in in even just as bad as when i knew they were holding up in civilian structure they were holding up in people's houses and i didn't care i just threw it in as guilt by association mm-hmm. well these people it wasn't guilt by association it was they decided to take over that place and you didn't have a choice of you know you didn't have a choice about it they essentially commandeered your home. Well, you didn't have anywhere else to go, so you were still there. You know, not to mention, just shouldn't have been there to begin with. Uh, this this whole mess. Yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up. After you guys have gone through what you have now, has it enlightened you? We'll put put it that way. 
as far as having a level of understanding on why so many countries around the world despise the U.S. and look at us being a giant bully, which, I'll be honest with you, I think with a lot of decisions that have been made, that's essentially what the U.S. is, just a big fucking bully. Yeah, that did, and, and honestly, it, you know, I agree with that. And it did, it did, um, once you came around to that fact of uh, what we were doing and, you know, looking through it at the lens of, uh, like, for me, it was, you know, viewing these regular folk um, going about their daily business. And that, that's, that cemented it for me for why these folks don't want us anywhere around. Because all your general citizenry, all they know is that when the U.S. shows up, their lives are screwed. Mm-hmm. There's a high potential that they're going to be armed or killed or displaced or all of the above. I mean, who knows? And it's easy easy for us to sit and kind of support this stuff because harkening back to what uh, Robert was saying, you're looking at these white glowing pixels in uh, night vision that are getting destroyed. And it's easy to dis- disassociate yourself from the fact that that is a human being that was up until that point going about their dis- their business that had their own hopes. It's like playing a video game. It's identical to playing a video game, which makes it so easy to disassociate yourself from the, the act that, that you're, uh, that you're doing. And I would, I, I would add in another point. You know, I, I would support these things happening and then, get upset at u.s casualties and blame the invaded country for the casualties Mm -hmm. when in actuality it was uh it was our government that killed them off for me and this is dovetails exactly with what you're talking about here i felt that these people deserve to die because they didn't do anything to prevent the attacks against us yeah uh, that you know that that's another perspective and I'd forgotten about that. But, uh, that was, that was definitely part of the thinking. And, and it's really stupid looking at it now because the government's acting in a way that we're perceiving as against the U S and blaming the people because, well, they must be complicit. Well, that's the same way. (laughs) If you look back at our social contract per se, you've got a copy of the same thing here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you're you're blaming them for something we understand now to be a farce. I would make the argument that anyone that is willing to say those type of things and then do the guilt by association, that we here in this country are 100 times more guilty of because we democratically elect, and I'm doing air quotes there, guys, the democratically part, elect the people that are doing this at our behest, at least in these countries. And many of them, they're dictatorships. The people did not put them into power. They seized power. So if you are to use that that line of reasoning, you should honestly be taken out in front of a firing squad because you are many more times guilty for putting these people in power that are out murdering and committing genocide on your behalf. Well, think about how terrifying it is, though. That the way our country is, is currently set up, call it with, and I think it's oversimplifying it to put it down to just the bipartisanship, but we'll, we'll go with that for sake of argument right now. But how terrifying is it that through the means of propaganda and through the means of 
uh, media and separation of politics and everything else that we've got going, despite the great dichotomy that exists, as we discussed earlier, in political viewpoints, there's still a complete lack of real human compassion given to anybody who isn't an American citizen, for the most part. And I won't say it's, it, what applies to one applies to all, but you get up to go up to an individual on the street here. And for the most part, most people are, are decent human beings and have a level of compassion towards human suffering or discomfort. But the minute you put it into the context of seeing these things going on in a war, like you said, Sean, it was immediately like, well, it's their own fault or, well, it's this. And it's completely brushed off. And there is a fundamental lack of human compassion, like I said, that that is it used to blow my mind years ago. And, and, and I think it always will. And it's, it's a, um, for me, incredibly disheartening. And one of the saddest things to look at people who have just no respect and no care at all for the fact that there are other people here who, like you said, are just trying to live their lives and are in a situation completely outside their control. That's be and all this stuff is being dictated by, you know, a handful of people as, as heads of state or dictators or presidents or prime ministers, whatever you want to call it, that are, <laughs> you know, creating this level of chaos for millions, if not billions of people. That's just insane to me. We do a good job of dehumanizing those that we don't like. And our government, our media, does an excellent job of reinforcing that dehumanization, which makes it easy to not feel compassion, to not feel anything about, you know, a picture of a child that was wounded in a hospital attack. You would be so outraged if that happened here, if a terrorist attacked one of our hospitals or just imagine, you know, like the pictures from the Boston Marathon. People saw it and were so outraged. How dare, how dare. And then if you immediately followed it up with a picture of something from uh, Yemen, for instance, or Syria, where we had done the exact same things, well, you know, they deserved it. They were asking for it. It is, it is. They're not even they deserved it. They asked for it. It's brushed off as, well, yeah, you know, that's what happens in times of war. Well, we have, we have so much aggression going on. We outsourced it in Yemen. <laughs> it's the, it's the Saudis doing it at our behest, apparently, um, or our permission, I should say. The Saudis yeah, it's are been being... the great shell game for ever. It's either us or our allies. One of the two. The man behind the curtain. Yeah, the the great Oz. If I had, um, I'm going to go into the next one here. And if I'd heard someone speaking the way that I am now, I would look at them and say, you know what? If you don't like this country, you can just move. You have to love this country. You're going to stand for the pledge. You're going to stand for the national anthem. And if you don't vote, you can't complain. Yeah, that was also, you know, a common one. I'd. I think we recited those to each other <laughs> at different points. Yeah, yeah, just uh, you don't like it, get out. This is our country, and this is the way things are ran. So if you, you know, you don't like that stuff, either vote for, you know, vote for your other presser or get out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know what I find interesting with that statement, though, is the fact, uh, let me make sure I'm actually putting my words correctly together in my brain here for this, but 
correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think you both still have a love for the country that we live in, or at least an appreciation for the advantages that we have. If the, albeit the system is broken and there's a lot of things wrong, if you had to choose to live somewhere somewhere else, I, I don't think you would. Uh, no, I wouldn't. But what's interesting in what you're talking about, oh, I'm sorry, I'll give you one second. Give me one second, yeah. Robert. I, Robert, I want to hear what you have to say on that. But what's interesting is that when you're still in the mindset that you guys were in, love for your country is goes hand in hand with unquestioning obedience. Right. And minding the law and towing the line and buying into whatever uh, the current it thing is, be it um, Iran-Contra in the 80s, be it uh, the Exxon oil spills that were going on in the environmental crises in the late 80s going into the 90s or in the early 2000s when we start in 2003 when the Iraq war started, or I guess it was in 2002 when the Iraq war started. Whatever it is at that point in time, being a good American and having love for your country means you don't ask questions, means you follow the law, it means all the things that you guys covered up to this point. And it's interesting to me to see you both still have that love and appreciation, but it takes on a different form for you now that I think is more realistic. Absolutely. To, to support when that war started, <laughs> you had to swallow the fact that all, all the pilots were Saudi and we stormed a completely different country. And we all swallowed that with no problem, apparently. Still trying to figure out how I reasoned that out back then and how I accepted that to even be <laughs> anything close to reality. You know, not that you should invade anybody, but <laughs> if you were going to, wouldn't it be the country of the people that the people were from? Uh, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, I would I would argue that love a country then was best translated as uh, love of government, authority, and party. Mm -hmm. And now, what I view it more as is uh, a love of the people that are here, a love for the ways that the free market has been allowed to work, so that we can have the things that we do have here, because uh, even though would make the argument we have a mixed economy, that uh, even in spite of that, enough of the free market has flourished so that we're able to have the, you know, some of the luxuries that we have today and the advancements that we have uh, with medicine and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's definitely a great thing. It's not that, it's not that, it's not that our country's bad. That's uh, and that's not what I'm trying to say. It's it's the actions of the government that are uh, totally in conflict with my ethics now. I'm I'm gonna. It's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Sean. Sorry. No, no, you're absolutely fine. I, I was gonna see Robert and and raise what he's having to say. It was interesting because you and I haven't talked about this before but to hear your stance on it and i there were words i was hoping you were going to say and you did that and i'll correct you a little bit here evelyn i i do not have a love for this country and the reason i don't have a love for it is country is nothing country is nothing more than lines on a map that were drawn arbitrarily it lets you know who you need to make your tax check payable to now, the people that live here, just like Robert said, that is what I love. The ideas of freedom, I love that as well. I love that we are lucky enough to be 
inside of a country to where enough of these freedoms are enshrined in the law to prevent the government from taking them away as best as it possibly can. Obviously, it, can, it still can, and that it's going to hopefully allow us to take the next step in that 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 big jump, hopefully, away from authority, much in the way that our Constitution helped help bootstrap a new idea, a new way of governing people with freedom. My hope is that it will allow it at some point to flourish. But the government, I've got a, a big bad problem with it. The country, I, I can't say that I um I can neither love the country or nor can I hate it because again it's this non entity. It can't do anything on its own. It's no more than lines on a map, so to speak. But it's the people that are love. Let me rephrase then, as opposed to having a full love of the country, you can have at least an appreciation for the opportunities and thing and, and things of the like that are and people that are available. Yeah, no, I and I have an appreciation for that. And and I'm not being critical of the way that you you phrased it, but there are a lot of people that look to country and say they love their country. It's like what do you love? Can you point to your country? Can you can you show me your country or or the aspect? Right. It, it doesn't exist. It is an idea. But again, that goes back into the indoctrination. That goes back exactly. into the indoctrination that happens from the time, basically, that you're born, from the pledge of allegiance. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of ton of time on this one, but think about this: you have the pledge of allegiance being spoken at the very least once per week in school, from kindergarten. I don't, I don't even know if they still do it on college campuses, but at the very least through high school. And think about the words. You are pledging your allegiance to the flag of your country. And to the republic for which it stands. I mean, it's just, it's an insane thing. And it start, and you will stand up, you will pay homage. I've been, I was in my daughter's school. I went to pick her up to go to a dentist appointment. And I was kind of waiting in the hall. There was a little bit of a line. And the Pledge of Allegiance came on. And I kid you not, there was a kid in the hall. There were no teachers around. There was no flag up. And the kid froze and stopped and put his hand on his heart. And I was just looking at that. It kind of went, wow. Pavlov would that's, be impressed. That, that's, that is, a, yeah, right? That was just, I remember looking at that and going, man, that's crazy. But it's, it's everywhere and with everything. And I mean, what is it? My sister and I make fun of it sometimes. And I, we try not to target any people individually, obviously, but there are those who take it to such extreme where it's, you know, all you have is the guy with the cutoff t-shirt and the mullet carrying the American flag saying, America, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But that's looked on as being an, an ideal thing and having that pride and representation. And I mean, hell, the people in, in that big box, wherever it is, done a hell of a job of making sure that their citizens have the right mindset. We are. Uh, I would like. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I wanted to extend on uh, what I had said earlier. Uh, the love of the people in this country. That also, that would extend to anywhere. Mm -hmm. For the simple fact, like I said, this all. It really bothered me. This all harkens back to the war thing. But um, for the simple fact, your neighbor, whatever they're doing right now. Somebody's doing that in the same mindset somewhere else. 
They're no different except they live in a different region. Whatever their religious beliefs might be, and it, it that works for their area, you know, as long as it isn't exacerbating any kind of violence against anybody. They're they're just they're just regular folks that happen to be in a different area. Then when it comes down to it, their day to day cares are the same as ours, and uh, the dehumanization of anybody out you know uh, outside our borders here is uh, it's sad and regretful. I think people should ponder that a lot longer. I know I keep hitting on it, but it's it, you know, it just uh, something that really bothers me about how I was and how I see the people are. No, it's it's important enough that it it needs to be reiterated again and again. And I, I want to speak to that. And this is going to sound that this is not political, but it, it's kind of interesting that you bring it up about how people are just doing the same things that we're doing here, only differently, and. I, and I forgot to even discuss this with you before we recorded the episode, but Robert and I both like uh, faster music, metal, for instance. And I came across this uh, thing on my Facebook feed called um, the, the Who, but not spelled like W-H-O, it's H-U. And they're a Mongolian metal band that does Mongolian throat singing. And they had this song called Wolf Totem. And it is like one of the most impressive works I've seen in a while. And of course, you can't understand a single word. <laughs> and the the phraseology and all that stuff is all, you know, 100% alien because obviously I don't speak Mongolian. But the commonality and you see the expressions on these guys' faces and immediately your head is bobbing to the same rhythm that these guys are. and despite the fact that we don't speak a similar language, we do speak human, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. it, and oh, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. All these other layers that we add on top of this are all distractions. The reality is those people are just as human as we are. We're not better than they are. And it harkens back to the, the argument that, that we make a lot that how can one person have the power to rule over you when you do not have the power to rule over anyone else? Mm -hmm. There's no superhumans among us. I think we need to get back to focusing on the fact that we are all humans, which I absolutely think is one of the things that is missing from what we do. And I want to, and I know this is something we were just talking about, but it, it struck me as funny because I've forgotten about it until um, Evelyn had mentioned it. But she was talking about how the kid turned and when he heard the Pledge of Allegiance. It was a time in my life where I would kind of snicker when you would see um, Muslims during the, uh, the call to prayer, you know, all get down, face the same direction, get on their prayer rugs and and bow and pray all together and i'd laugh like god you know i can't imagine being part of anything that requires this and then not even realizing that when we heard that tone at school we all faced the flag we all put our hand over our hearts and we all recited our own prayer mm -hmm. you just don't see it when you're standing in it it's no different now the last two that i had i wanted to make sure they're out here and I saved the worst for last, at least in my opinion, because these leave a really crappy taste in my mouth. But uh, 
Taxes are the price we pay to live in society. I can't even say it with a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) And military and the police are heroes and deserve respect for their sacrifices. Mm. I don't have any mouthwash. I should have gotten some. Yeah. Yeah, you should have. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's in... Yeah, I'm sure the intent is not essentially disrespect for the soldiers mm-hmm. uh, for the simple fact of uh, when they're pulled. And But, uh, yeah, in, in the incursions we've had over the past several decades, unfortunately, um, there's, there's not a lot heroic to be taken from that. Well, no, but if they're a product of the indoctrination that we've had up to that point, or if there are those who are from uh, lower income or more disadvantaged areas where that is with the GI bills and things like that, their only means of supporting themselves or their families or making a better life. I, I absolutely have a, have a respect for, for them just for the sheer fact of I, I have family in the military and I've seen the effect that that has on them. That the, I should say, I should see. I have a respect for what they go through, having seen what the government requires of them to do, and it's stuff that, for many of them, haunts them for the rest of their lives. So I don't. Oh, there are those number does. I'm sure that go through and do things because they enjoy the uh, thrill that comes with it, but for many, I, I don't think that's what it is. So I, I at least have. Maybe if, if not a, a respect, maybe that's too strong a word, but I, I can um, I can feel for them, put it that way. I, I don't look at them in a derogatory way for doing their their job in a position where their their <laughs> absolute compliance is necessary to get back home. No, and I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think and that's not the route I'm going. The problem that I see with this is that when someone dons on, puts on this uniform, you're supposed to immediately respect them. In the same way, I would argue you don't disrespect someone because of a uniform that they're wearing. You can't respect them because of the uniform. But if you judge the individual by their actions, then that's where respect comes from. So it's not this big overarching, well, this guy just so happened to be in the Air Force, so that means he's a good guy. No, it it doesn't work that way. In the opposite, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, just uh, goes back to the mantra that respect is earned. You don't just automatically get it. I don't know what you did here. I don't know what you did there. I don't know if you beat your wife. I don't know, you know mm-hmm. these types of things. I do not. I'm not going to automatically make a positive assumption on your character just because you have. A uniform on you could be just as shady as you know uh, someone down the road Uh, i don't know anything about you so you know i'm not going to automatically respect you in most points as it would be in uh like with uh officer government agency the probably the overwhelming response you know the overwhelming feeling at that point is going to be fear not because they have a sidearm or not because of what weapon they're carrying, because that really doesn't that doesn't phase me. I'm you know I'm not a stranger to a gun, but the fact of what they can do and get away with it for whatever reason they decide. 
Yeah. You, you can, you can match the gun. You can match the individual's power, but they have something that you can't assail behind them. And that is the entire government. That's what makes it different. Yep. Well, to wrap this up, I'm going to throw out my final thoughts on this subject. The more convinced you are that your views are correct, the harder you need to test them. By constantly exposing your views to the opposition, you are continually refining them. At some point, you will filter out the garbage and be left with truth. Ask yourself this question. Would you rather believe that you're right and never know that you're wrong, or would you rather be wrong and then discover what is truly right? Well, guys, thank you again for spending some time with us on the Porcupine Perspective. We really enjoy the time we get to spend with you. When you have a chance, do us a favor. Visit our website, porcupinepov.com. Catch up on some of the articles we write. You can also find us on Facebook at Porcupine POV. Make sure you give us a five-star rating and subscribe so you can be notified when we release new episodes. So until next time, thanks for hearing our perspective. Don't